Why did trading John Schreiber make sense for the Boston Red Sox? I'll tell you on today's Locked on Red Sox. You are Locked on Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gabby Hurlbut, former ESPN social media associate and current host of the Boston Balling Podcast. And I am here to bring you the latest in all things Boston Red Sox, Monday through Friday, straight to your favorite podcast feed for free. And honestly, if you don't love free and want to take advantage of it, then you're just weird. So check out Locked On Red Sox. Locked On is your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today and you'll get $150 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. Happy Monday. Welcome to another episode of the show. Hope your week gets started off the right way and that you continue to go through that grind. Spring is almost here, which hopefully means nicer weather here in New England. I'm just so tired of the cold at this point, and I'm ready for baseball season. We are 38 days away from opening day. Who was one of the best players in Red Sox history to wear number 38? I'm going to tell you a little bit later in the show. But over the weekend, the Red Sox made a pretty big trade. And quite frankly, I didn't see it coming. But ultimately, it's a move that made sense and needed to happen. So the Red Sox traded reliever John Schreiber to the Kansas City Royals. And Schreiber overall has been solid, but he did see some digression in 2023. He has a 27.4% strikeout rate over his 143 and a third career innings in the majors. He's had some home run issues and just a lot of bad luck, but he had just a 628 earned run average over 28 and two thirds innings with the Tigers in 2019 and 20. So that didn't pan out well for him. I mean, again, a lot of it was bad luck, but still not good. And then he only pitched in one MLB game with the Red Sox in 2021. So not enough to really make a conclusion on how he would have pitched that year. His real breakout was in 2022. He pitched to a 222 ERA over 65 relief innings while also delivering a 28.8% strikeout rate and an above average 7.4% walk rate. I really enjoyed watching Schreiber pitch in 2022 in relief. That was a great season for him. I saw a lot of potential in him at that time, and I was glad that he was somebody that the Red Sox were able to kind of pull out of his shell a little bit, find some of his upside, and be able to utilize his strengths so that he could be effective in this Red Sox bullpen. So he did have a good 2022 season, but the same can't exactly be said for 2023. He did regress and not pitch as well in 2023 as he did in 2022. To be fair, he did spend time on the 60-day IL due to a major strain in his right shoulder. So he missed a lot of time. So he was definitely not as polished when he came back from the IL. 
But he did post a respectable 386 ERA over 46 and two-thirds innings, and he had strong strikeout and barrel rates. His walk rate, though, spiked up to 12.3% compared to that 7.4% walk rate in 2022. So he did lose a lot of the command that he had prior when he pitched in 2023. His sinker was so effective in 2022. It was one of his best pitches. But this past season, it was less effective than it was the previous year. Batters had a 395 WOBA against his sinker in 2023, as opposed to a 245 WOBA in 2022. So that's a pretty big difference. His effectiveness on that pitch just wasn't there as much in the 2023 season. Batting average against and players being able to read pitches better is how a hitter elevates their game and improves and they were able to read that pitch a little bit more so it definitely helped him to struggle a little bit more in 2023. So one thing that makes sense about this trade for Boston is that Schreiber definitely still has some solid stuff but do we know how long it's gonna be I mean he's turning 30 and he did spend time on the IL like I talked about with an injury so being able to stay healthy at this point in his career is definitely something the Red Sox would have to think about and keep in mind if they had kept him on the team is how much is he going to be able to pitch In 2024, is he going to be able to be reliable from season's start to season's end? Is he going to be a pitcher that could come out of relief and be consistent? And unfortunately, he didn't get a ton of time in Boston to really prove himself as an effective reliever. That 2022 season will all appreciate, but it's always a gamble when you say, is a pitcher's real value compared to what their best season was or compared to the most recent one when they struggled. And I don't feel confident that Schreiber would have had a great enough season in 2024 to justify him still being here. I think there's a lot of upside there. If the Red Sox kept him, makes a lot of sense because he would have been a good bullpen option. However, I'm also not upset that they parted ways with him because they got a young talent in return for him and he is getting up there in age and who knows stability wise if he's going to be able to contribute as much so the Royals definitely took a chance by acquiring him and it makes sense for Boston that maybe he just isn't going to be as effective anymore for them because these are things you do have to think about if you're going based off of the season he had in 2023 being able to get the value that they got in return for him is very good they got a good piece back and this is probably when Schreiber's trade value would have been at its best because what if he comes into 2024 and he struggles because he isn't able to quite bounce back after being injured he hasn't pitched a full season in a while so what if he started to lose some of that stamina it would have been harder to trade him prior to the trade deadline because they might not have been able to get as much back as they were able to in this trade so sometimes if you do want to move somebody because you don't feel like they're going to be a part of the future of this team you want to do it at the time when their value is very high so from the Red Sox standpoint that likely is the reason that they traded him when they did and another reason why is 
they were able to acquire a young pitcher in the deal. And it might make some people upset because Craig Breslow hasn't really made a ton of big moves so far in his time here. He's made a lot of lateral moves. The team isn't really much better than they were last year. So this seems like to some fans, maybe they're getting rid of somebody who had the potential to be a good piece in the bullpen now for a potential future piece. And why is that? The Red Sox in the deal acquired right-handed pitching prospect David Sandlin from the Royals. Now, Sandlin is a pitcher who has definitely a lot of potential. He's a righty who turns 23 next week and has a 3.41 ERA and an outstanding 32.38% strikeout rate in 68 and two-thirds career minor league innings. He was an 11th round pick for the Royals in the 2022 draft and had his 2023 season cut short by a lat injury, unfortunately, and he made only two appearances at the high A level before being sidelined. Kylie McDaniel, who's a baseball analyst for ESPN, recently ranked Sandlin as the fifth best prospect in the Royals farm system, while the Athletics' Keith Law ranked him seventh. Baseball America was a little less high on him. They only ranked him 20th, but still felt like he could develop into at least a good reliever based on his two primary pitches, which are a high 90s fastball and a plus slider. You can be an effective reliever with two very strong pitches and then a third one that is a little bit weaker that you can still hone in on. Because if you're a reliever, you don't need to have nearly as much of a wide variety of a pitch selection on your resume as you do as a starter. So he could get away with having two very strong pitches and he could work to perfect those and could be effective. But the question becomes, you know, will he continue to get better with those pitches? If he can develop a changeup in curveball, he can maybe eventually be in the rotation. But this is such a wild card for Boston because he hasn't pitched at the major league level yet. So, both teams kind of took chances in this deal. From Boston's perspective, they probably see Sandlin as somebody that they're intrigued to work in their farm system, see what he can do and how he can develop and hopefully get him to the point where he could be later on an effective piece in the Red Sox bullpen. And there could be an argument made that the Red Sox might be selling high on John Schreiber in this deal. But Kansas City was willing to take the risk for a reliever who is just a few weeks shy of his 30th birthday and is arbitration controlled through the 2026 season. Schreiber actually did have a 2.12 ERA in 17 innings before his IL stint and a 4.85 ERA in 29 and two-thirds innings after returning. So the Royals might view his struggles as just a result of his injury and the time off that he took for the injury. But if he gets back to his 2022 form, that's a great strikeout arm that the Royals can utilize in high leverage situations out of their pen. And as for the Red Sox, I mean, Sandlin is definitely somebody that they're taking chances on. He obviously is well-respected among the baseball community and the analysts who compare prospects. So there's definitely some upside there, I'm sure. But, 
you don't really know how a prospect is going to pan out. And the Red Sox probably see something in him that makes them feel confident that maybe he will pan out. But we'll have to see what happens. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if the Red Sox were going to move Shriver, now was the time to do it. And I'm hoping it makes room for another signing that the Red Sox are in the works on, maybe for a pitcher who they see has a little bit more potential at this point in his career to contribute to this team. So we'll see what happens there. Definitely not a trade I expected to happen, but one that makes sense to me. And I'm excited to see Sandlin's potential and ability. I don't think we should write off his potential to be a solid pitcher in this organization, but you just never know. So the Red Sox were willing to take the chance and hopefully the chance pays off for them. What does this trade show about the overall offseason message by the Red Sox front office. I'll be diving into that next. FanDuel is absolutely the place for you. If you're thinking at all about getting into sports betting or you're really hooked on it but want to find ways to win more money, get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. I've seen my fiance win a lot of money with FanDuel, so if you want that to be your life, then you absolutely should check it out today. Also, you should check out Locked On Sports today as Locked On has launched the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube, and now it's also available on Amazon Fire TV in the free Fire TV channels app. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Find Locked On Sports Today now available on the free Fire TV channels app, or you can subscribe on YouTube. It's very exciting for Locked On. No other network has this, so now is your chance to stay caught up in everything going on in sports without having to sit and scroll through Twitter and have that take up so much time because it is time-consuming. So check that out today as well. The Boston Red Sox moved reliever John Shriver to the Kansas City Royals in exchange for a pitching prospect in David Sandlin, who is ranked very high up in the Royals farm system in terms of their pitching arms. So that's a promising sign. This could work out very well for the Red Sox if he ends up developing into the type of pitcher and player that a lot of reporters and analysts are expecting him to turn into, then this will look like a big steal for Boston because John Schreiber was on a bit of a decline. And if they had a trade partner willing to take the risk on Schreiber at this point in his career, there's no reason why the Red Sox shouldn't have done it. Now you look at the Red Sox bullpen and say, it feels like there still might be a hole there because Schreiber not being part of the bullpen is making you wonder, you know, who's going to fill in that missing piece when he's not pitching. Because 2022 was a great season for him. 2023, not so much. He was also injured. But you have to wonder, you know, what's the Red Sox plan for moving on here and for 
making sure this bullpen is ready for opening day. And the primary message that I'm getting from the Red Sox front office based on this trade and the return that they got is the Red Sox are fully focused on the future right now. The front office does not see 2024 as a contending year, although I think they have the potential if all goes right to be better than people think. But the thing that really frustrates me is lying to the fans and people around the Red Sox community about your goals for the upcoming season. If the goal for the upcoming season was to compete, the Red Sox would have been making bigger moves than they have made already so far. And in my view, taking the entire Red Sox offseason into consideration and the moves that they've made and lack thereof, this screams to me, our championship window isn't ready to start yet, and they're trying to build a solid core for the next time that they have a chance to be a championship contender. I think when you look at guys like Marcelo Meyer, Kyle Teal, and Roman Anthony, those are three very talented players that eventually are going to come up and hopefully be major contributors to the Boston Red Sox for a long time. And I think Red Sox ownership and anybody else in the front office who has a say in how the offseason is going to look and what types of moves are going to be made, a lot of those people, to me, seem to feel like those guys are worth building around and they are going to be the future of the franchise. So there's no point in making a lot of big moves right now, blowing payroll and trading some of this young talent to then basically force open a championship window that isn't there. In the eyes of Craig Breslow and John Henry and Sam Kennedy and company, I truly believe that they have their eye fully on like 2025, 2026. What players on this team are going to be contributors then? Because it explains why they traded Chris Sale. He's, you know, nearing the end of his career. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. Why would they keep him around for a team that they want to be able to contend in the next couple years? Because it wouldn't really make sense to have him in the rotation at that point. Trading John Schreiber, I mean, got a really young, talented prospect in the deal who hopefully can come in and be a big contributor in the minors. And trading Alex Verdugo because of the surplus of outfielders and his attitude problems with Cora and the tension there, obviously him staying might have caused some issues in the clubhouse or just with Cora in general, and they don't want to throw off what they're trying to do there. So a lot of these moves that they're making are trading players who have been a pretty big contributor in the last couple seasons for Boston that they then feel like in the next couple of years aren't part of that long-term picture. And I think the Red Sox eyes right now are fully focused on a long term. Who should be on this team when it comes to the time when Meyer, Teal, and Anthony come up to facilitate and lead this team in the direction they're going in. What players do we see being a part of that puzzle and what players do we not see being a part of that puzzle? And if they had come out and said that earlier on before the offseason started or even right at the beginning of the offseason, people would have so many different expectations of how they wanted this offseason to go because Early on, they set the tone and gave off the impression that they were going all in this offseason to build a competitive team for 2024. But if they were honest and said, 
Look, we see us as a rebuilding team right now. We still need to get a lot of pieces in place to build a core and build the framework for a championship caliber team down the road. I would have respected that a lot more if they came clean and said that because that mentality is what matches the way they've gone about this offseason. Not going into the offseason saying we're going full throttle this offseason. We really want to contend in 2024 to then make moves that really seem like the team's trying to get younger and develop guys internally because their priorities have changed. In simple, Red Sox ownership's philosophy now seems to be we just want to load up on talent that we can develop through our system and develop them the right way, which in theory is great. You want to trust guys in your farm system, but you need to have the right system and mechanism to be able to develop those types of guys. And I think they see this coaching staff that they have now and this little revamp they've done of some of these coaches. I think they see that as a way to improve the development of some players at the younger levels to eventually come up to the majors and contribute. And if I'm looking at the Red Sox and what I know about them, they've never really fully been this way. They have had talent that has come up through their system and succeeded, but they've also been willing to go out and spend money on high caliber talent. My question is, Will they go back to being willing to spend money on high caliber talent in the next couple seasons when they have those young guys up that are going to be the framework of the team moving forward? Are they then willing to spend money on some key free agents to surround those guys with? It's hard to say for sure. Or are they going to be fully in the mindset of Tampa Bay Rays 2.0 where they're trying to just develop everybody through their system and hope that they can win a championship out of it. I mean, the Rays have been competitive within the AL East now for a while, but they've never been able to succeed in the postseason. And that's what I worry about with the Boston Red Sox right now is you can have that mentality of we trust the guys we have in our system. We want to see them be able to develop and come up and help us internally. And that's all fine, but... To what extent will that actually work? I think the Tampa Bay Rays situation has shown that that could be a more complicated system than what the Red Sox would like to believe it to be. But I truly feel like this John Schreiber move and the return the Red Sox got kind of cemented more of that idea to me that Boston isn't really aiming to be a competitive team in 2024. They're focusing on the future. They're focusing on surrounding the team with the right guys who will help aid the team when you have that quote-unquote big three coming up in Anthony Meyer and Teal. So ultimately, again, if that's the mentality, treating John Schreiber makes sense because you don't want somebody who's turning 30 and is kind of on a decline that we saw in 2023 coming out of the bullpen, hoping he returns to 2022 form. And if he does, how long will he be in 2022 form for? You don't want that type of player in your bullpen in that scenario. You're looking for more, okay, who can we develop that can be a long-term piece down the road and continue to be successful? So I'm actually not mad about the Schreiber trade. The return, we're not going to know yet how good it actually is. I mean, there's been good reports on him, but there's no way to know how he's going to develop and how he's going to improve within the Red Sox system. So... I mean, we'll see how this mentality goes for them. 
I just wish they were more open about it to begin with so that people's expectations were different. They are trying to get younger. They're trying to get pieces that they can develop in their system. And that seems to be their primary goal right now when they're approaching these meetings with other teams and they're making these offseason trades. So Breslow, I still trust. I'm hoping that a lot of these guys pan out that he's acquired in these trades, but it's definitely frustrating that the Red Sox, yet again, like they've been doing the last few years, have failed to be transparent with us and have set unrealistic expectations. So we'll see what happens with it. But we are 38 days away from opening day. And coming up, I'm going to be telling you a notable player to wear number 38 for the Boston Red Sox. I literally don't know anything about cars. I really just struggle with a lot of the terminology and how you're supposed to fix your car if there's something wrong with it. And because of that, I rely a lot on eBay Motors. It's super helpful and it will help get you the car parts you need. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. eBay Motors honestly is great. It's not just saying that. It's helped me out of so many situations, so it can definitely help you too. You know what also can help you is keeping up on the latest in all things sports, and that's where Locked On Sports Today has you covered. Locked On has actually launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. It's available on YouTube and also on Amazon Fire TV in the free Fire TV channels app. So if you go to Amazon Fire TV, you can find the Locked On Sports Today channel and basically, it's all of our local experts of Lockdown, plus our national shows covering every league, and everybody's constantly keeping you updated on everything going on in sports, so you don't have to worry about missing anything, and that's what's so great about it. So if you subscribe to Lockdown Sports today, you'll never have to worry about missing out on anything. We are 38 days until opening day, and... In honor of that, a notable player to wear number 38 for the Boston Red Sox was Kurt Schilling. Shortly after his trade to the Red Sox, he boldly announced in a commercial that he arrived to break an 86-year curse. And sure enough, he did help to do that. He pitched so well in the 2004 postseason, and it was really fun to watch. He's been a very successful pitcher in his career, he finished his career with a 346 ERA and a record of 216 and 146 over 569 games played. He also recorded 22 saves because he did pitch in relief sometimes as well. But he pitched a total of 3,261.0 innings and struck out 3,116 batters in that time. 
He helped lead the Philadelphia Phillies to a World Series appearance in 1993 and won championships in 2001 with the Diamondbacks and then those two World Series championships with the Red Sox in 2004 and 2007. He was named a co-winner of the World Series MVP in 2001 with the D-backs. He ended up retiring with a career postseason record of 11-2, and and his 846 postseason winning percentage is a major league record among pitchers with at least 10 decisions. He's a member of the 3,000 Strikeout Club and has the highest strikeout-to-walk ratio of any of its inactive members. He is tied at third place for the most 300 strikeout seasons. After retiring, Schilling founded Green Monster Games, which was renamed 38 Studios. The company released Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning in February 2012. Three months later, they laid off their entire staff because they were having severe financial troubles. As a radio personality, Schilling was signed by the Howie Carr Radio Network to do a Saturday morning politics and sports show. So he kind of did a lot. He was a commentator on air and also played baseball and just absolutely dominated in the league. He was only with the Red Sox from 2004 to 2007, but surely he made a lot of noise. Then on October 19th, 2004, he won game six of the ALCS against the Yankees. And the most incredible thing about that was that he won the game playing on an injured ankle. It was the same injuries that contributed to his disastrous outing in game one of the ALCS. It was really rough to watch that. But the injuries were so acute that by the end of his Game 6 performance, blood was literally visibly soaking part of his white sock, and it's now referred to as the bloody sock. It's a really famous, you know, phrase now for it. And he pitched through it. He pitched through the pain and just absolutely killed it in Game 6. It was nuts. His victory forced a Game 7, and then we know how that ended. The Red Sox won and then went on to win the World Series and broke the curse, just like Schilling said he was here to do. Schilling pitched and won Game 2 of the 2004 World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals, and then in both series, he had to have the tendon in his right ankle stabilized repeatedly in what has become known as the Schilling Tendon Procedure. This happened after the tendon sheath was torn during his Game 1 ALDS appearance against the Angels. And then in Game 6 of the ALCS, showing sock was soaked with blood, but he still managed to pitch seven strong innings, giving up one run on four hits and striking out four. This second bloody sock was placed in the Baseball Hall of Fame after Boston's victory over St. Louis in the World Series. A four-game sweep of the World Series then erased the curse, and on February 23, 2013, the first bloody sock was sold at a live auction for $92,613 to an anonymous bidder at the Fletcher Sinclair Mansion. It's actually interesting like how famous this actually became, and he was just so willing to pitch through pain it was incredible he just had such a fight in him he just wanted to be on the field and wanted to help his team win and that was something that made him stand out and made him so successful he was runner-up in Cy Young voting in 2004 and then he received 27 of the 28 second place votes later the entire Red Sox team was named Sports Illustrated's 2004 Sportsman of the Year making Schilling only the second person to have won or shared that award twice. His ankle injuries 
had him on the IL to begin the 2005 season, but he returned on April 13th and made three starts before landing on the DL again. He returned in July as Boston's closer and then eventually returned to the starting rotation and continued to struggle. Then that year was rough for the Red Sox because they made it to the playoffs but were swept by the White Sox in three games. For the 2006 season, he was said to be healthy. He began the season 4-0 and with a 161 ERA and then finished the year with a 15-7 and record and 198 strikeouts with a respectable 397 ERA. On May 27th, he earned his 200th career win, the 104th Major League pitcher to accomplish the feat. And then he collected his 3,000th strikeout on August 30th of that year. In January 2007, he announced on the Dennis and Callahan show that after talking with his family, he had changed his mind and did not want to retire at the conclusion of the 2007 season. So then on June 7th, 2007, he came within one of his first career no-hitter. He gave up a two-out single to Oakland's Shannon Stewart for the A's only hit. He then followed up his one-hitter with two poor starts and was sent back to Boston on June 20th for an MRI on his shoulder, and he was then placed on the DL. He returned from the DL on August 6th, pitching at least six innings in each of his nine starts following the All-Star break. The biggest thing that stood out to me about him was how he was able to bounce back after he was injured. He would struggle, he'd go back to the DL, he'd bounce back and pitch really well multiple times. Takes a special kind of person to do that. So I was definitely very impressed that he was able to do that. And he just has had so many accolades in his career. On March 23rd, 2009, Schilling officially announced his retirement from professional baseball after 20 seasons. He was selected to the Boston Red Sox Hall of Fame in 2012, and then on August 2nd, 2013, he was inducted into the Philadelphia Phillies Wall of Fame. Another great player to play in Boston. I mean, so many classic players to play here. I just wish the Red Sox could get back to having players on the team that we'll remember forever that were just absolute legends. So maybe in a few years, we'll say we have guys who have the potential to be that way, but it's definitely not the same feel for the Red Sox in 2024 as it was in 2004. Absolutely not. But that being said, as always, we still have to try to keep the faith as much as we can. Go Red Sox, and I will catch you on the flip side.